we just sang it, but we are going to read and listen again to our sermon text for today, which comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 131. We have been in this sermon series where we've been looking at these Psalms of Ascent, these pilgrimage psalms, these songs for the road trip uh, that the pilgrims of old sang as they made their way, literally ascended up to Jerusalem and up the Temple Mount to the various uh, high holy Jewish festivals of the Old Covenant. And we've been looking at these as they encourage us along our pilgrim way as well. So today is Psalm 131, and let me just remind you, this is God's word to us and it's given to us because he loves us. A song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that you would speak to us. Because our hearts are indeed often restless and troubled and anxious and noisy. And we need your calm and your quiet that comes from your voice, the voice of love. And so we pray that we would be able to hear that today, that you would speak to us through your, through your Holy Spirit, through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when our middle child, Eben, uh, was weaning or... Sleep training, I'm not really sure what's the difference. I'm a guy, I don't really get it. At any rate, when Jesse, my wife, came to me when he was a few months old and said, look, he cries in the middle of the night and and I pick him up out of his crib and bring him to the bed to nurse him and he just goes right back to sleep, it's clear that he just wants to hang out. He's not actually hungry, so it's time for us uh, to break this cycle. And uh, this is how we're gonna do it. Uh, You're gonna stay up, meaning me, And when he cries, you're going to go in and comfort him and leave him in his crib, and we're going to keep doing this until however many nights it takes uh, for him to be uh, weaned off this habit of waking up in the night wanting to nurse. And I was like, all right, no problem. It's cool. And I remember it distinctly because uh, I was in the process at the time of reading the Harry Potter series for the first time, and I had read the first two books, and I was very undecided about Harry Potter. I was like, "Eh, I don't know. This is kind of like little kid stuff. Not really sure. I'm not really all that interested in it. It's kind of boring. And uh, when I started sleep training or helping wean Eben, I got to book three, Prisoner of Azkaban. I was like, whoa, this just got really dark. This is kind of cool now. And uh, it was no problem staying awake all night because I was so invested in this book that I just couldn't stop reading uh, that when he woke up and cried, I would just take a break and put the book down and go in there and pat his little behind and be like, go back to sleep, bud and then go back to reading Prisoner of Azkaban. And then he would do it again, and we would repeat the cycle, and I'd go in and pat his little behind and be like, go back to sleep, bud, and then go back to reading the Prisoner of Azkaban. And he was a smart kid. It only took him like, I don't know, two nights, three nights. Maybe that's an exaggeration of doing this. And uh, he, he realized real quick, all right, well, the lady who's got the goods isn't coming anymore. I got this turkey who's got nothing for me. I guess I'll just sleep through the night from now on. So, and that was that, and that's how we did it. And uh, every time I get to Psalm 131, I think about that story. I think about that time uh, in our 
parenting and our life with our young kids, and, and also just because I enjoy this psalm. I think Psalm 131 is perhaps my favorite psalm, maybe even one of my favorite passages, to be so bold, in the entire Scriptures. At the same time, it's also one of my least favorite psalms and my least favorite passages in all of the Bible because I fail miserably at obtaining what it is that Psalm 131 is talking about. And that is this overall disposition in life, this overall stance in life, this overall way of being that is satisfied contentment. This disposition in life of one of satisfied contentment. I so want to be a chill person. I do. I really do. I want to be a chill person. I want to be like some Zen monk, a Kung Fu warrior monk, mind you, but a Zen one all the same, right? Just calm and chill and contented at all times. And this psalm talks about this heart, right? My heart is not lifted up. It's humble. It's a life of humility. It is not arrogant. It is not proud. It is not demanding. It is not entitled. It talks about my eyes not being raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That's a life of acceptance. That's a life that has accepted its limitations. It knows its limitations, and it it has accepted its limitations. It's a a life that's accepted that I'm not going to have all the answers, that I'm not even promised to have all the answers, and I accept that. That's a life that accepts the fact that God says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, and I've accepted that. My ways are not your ways, and I have accepted that. It's a life that accepts basically the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've ever read that very odd book in your Old Testament, this wisdom literature, the whole point of that book is basically, guess what? You'll never have all the answers. It's okay. God can be trusted anyway, despite not having all the answers. And this is what Psalm 131 is talking about. And I want to do that. I want to have a humble, thankful, accepting, calm, and quiet soul within me to be chill at all times, like a weaned child with its mother. Now, what does it mean to be weaned? I said earlier, like, I don't, I don't even really understand if during that time in Eva's life we were weaning him or sleep training him. I don't know. But what does it mean to be weaned? We think, we think, it, we tend to think in terms of breaking a dependence, right? If we're weaning off something, we are breaking a dependence upon something. We may wean off medication or wean off a chemical addiction. Or in this example, a baby being weaned off his mother's milk so that he no longer depend, is dependent upon the milk and can move on to eating solid foods. And those are all true definitions of the word wean in the barest sense of the word, but I thought it was interesting how one medical profession talked about what the original meaning or sense of the word wean originally meant. And what it meant was a passage from one relationship to another. 
that weaning actually, its original connotation was about this passage, this movement from one relationship to another. It's not a loss or detachment from relationship. The concept of weaning in the example given in Psalm 131 is not that the weaned child needs to break a dependence upon its mother's milk so it doesn't need its mother anymore. It's, about, it's not about a loss or a detachment from its mother, but a passage from the relationship being one of attached necessity to attached contentment. Moving on from one stage of their relationship to a new stage in their relationship. And that is that the wean child is content. It's satisfied to simply have its mother's presence. Satisfied contentment, independent of the need to feed. And so the humble, faithful, Worshiping pilgrim is seeking this same kind of satisfied contentment, only it is satisfied contentment with God's presence. Content with God's presence as He is, not as you think He should be, not as you want Him to be, but content with God's presence as he is. And while we may want to be Zen Kung Fu warrior monks, or at least I do, uh, we find it difficult to achieve this satisfied contentment because we are too often stuck in the first stage of development in our relationship with God. We're too often stuck in that first stage of our development, which is feed me. Feed me. You created me. I'm your child. It's your obligation to satisfy me right now. I want it now, and I want it my way. And if you don't give it to me now, and you don't give it to me my way, I'm going to scream my head off until you do. We're still in that stage of development with our relationship with God. And then, if you don't answer me, I'm just going to detach myself from you and go figure it out somewhere else. Because our souls are hungry. They are. Our souls are hungry. They want to be fed. Our souls were created for this desire. Our hunger gnaws at us from the inside because we were created as desiring, hungry beings. Our souls hunger for life. Our souls hunger to be fed. The problem is we get ourselves attached or addicted to all sorts of cheap satisfactions that cannot satisfy that hunger. We start to buy into all these narratives that tell us all these other ways that we can attempt to satisfy that hunger of our souls. These narratives of our own ego, these narratives of our own false selves that pridefully say that I know what's best and I must have it my way. Feed me and feed me now how I want to be fed. Then you throw in the world is constantly assaulting your soul with narratives that tell you all the time that you are not enough. That you're not pretty enough. 
that you're not sexy enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, not desirable enough, not rich enough, not powerful enough, not influential enough, all the time. And so rather than trusting the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, we hope in all sorts of other emotional programs for happiness that just keep us stuck. And that first stage of development, I'm hungry, feed me now. Rather than ever reach a place of maturity and healthy attachment in our relationship to God. And consequently, a healthier relationship within ourselves. And consequently, a healthier relationship with our neighbors. Because if I have reached a healthy attachment in my relationship with God, if I am content with His presence being enough, then I don't have to operate from a frantic, anxious discontentment within myself all the time. Which will therefore mean I do not have to demand. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to codepend on others to meet my frantic, anxious discontentment. Because I have learned what it means to be content, that my cup is already filled to overflowing. I have space to help meet your felt needs. I have space to receive your help to meet my felt needs without any of us ever needing to be attached to the need. Satisfied contentment in God's presence is being enough, and therefore, I am enough. I don't have to cry about it. But the thing is, this life This disposition of satisfied contentment, this calm and quiet soul, it doesn't just happen. Weaning takes work. The mothers in the room know, weaning takes work. It doesn't just happen. You have to do the work to wean yourself from all sorts of attachments in order to calm and quiet your soul within you, to be able to reach a place where you realize everything that you want is already here for you. Everything that you need is already here for you at your disposal. One of the things my family enjoyed this summer while we were on vacation is that we really got into one of the seasons of the TV show, the reality show, Alone. Do you know that show? Basically, they take these survivalists and they drop them in very harsh conditions in the middle of nowhere with very little things. They get to pack like one backpack of stuff and they get to pick which stuff that they want to take, but it's very limited, and they're basically like just dropped in the middle of nowhere, and they have to film themselves trying to survive and trying to outlast one another. And I don't want to spoil anything or give anything away, because I hate when people spoil me, but there's, so I want to give you the season. There's one contestant in particular, and he made it a long time, and he was one of our favorites too. He was out there like 50-something days, having to catch your own food, find your own food, build your own shelter, you name it, all of it. And after 50-something days, he has this really powerful moment where he says, you know what, as I think about this, I realize that everything that I could possibly want, everything that I could possibly need, I already have. I could stay out here and try to win this thing and win a million dollars, but you know what, a million dollars is not going to add anything to my life that I don't already have. And he talked about how being out there for so long and being stripped down of all the distractions, right? No cell phone, no TV, no going down and, you know, 
getting takeout or dining out at your favorite restaurant, like being stripped down of these things for so many days and all these distractions helped him to be able to see clearly that I can be already content. A million dollars is not going to change anything about my life. I already have everything I could possibly want or desire. You see, it takes work to quiet those narratives so that you can be alert that you can be aware to the beautiful goodness that is already yours, no matter how terrible, how horrible, how challenging your circumstances are. So how do you do that? Well, I guess you could go to the Arctic wilderness with nothing but a backpack of stuff, but I don't know that you have that capability. I don't think I have that capability. So how do we do that realistically? Well, you've heard me say it, you've heard Jameson say it, you're going to keep hearing us say that we cannot stress enough to you the value of Christian contemplation. Some form, some practice, some habit of contemplation. And this is not just because our secular culture is fascinated with it right now and is getting behind the science and the medical benefits of mindfulness and meditation practices. Although all those science and medical reviews that talk about how beneficial it is are very interesting, it's not because of that. It's because Christians have already been practicing this for thousands of years. It's nothing new. It's not not some new fad. The church has already been doing this. It's called, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's called, be still. And know that I am the Lord. It's called, for God alone, in silence, my soul waits. This is nothing new. This has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Doing the work of silencing those narratives. You know those narratives. You know they're speaking to you and rattling around in your head and in your heart and in your soul all the time. It's doing the work of silencing those narratives so you can calm and quiet your soul. This requires disciplines of silence and listening. Requires disciplines of telling your ego to stop talking and listen to the Word of God. Listen to who He is. Not who you want Him to be, but who He actually is. Contemplation is the discipline of staying alert to the truth that you are already in God's embrace at all times, in all places. That doesn't change. What changes is our alertness, our familiarity to that fact, that we are already held in God's loving embrace at all times. A weaned child does not question the familiarity of his or her mother's arms. It doesn't question being held in her embrace. It just knows it. It just knows that you are not alone. You are never abandoned. Life is not just happening to you. It is happening for you. Because God is this time forth and forevermore saying, I got you. 
I got you. I'm here. You can trust. You can rest content. Shh. Be calm. Be quiet. I got you. I got you. I got you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.